So public schools, educators have these, these ideas of where young people should be when they grasp their education. They have this idea that once you get through this grade, you should know this and be like this, be able to read this level and all of that. And that's how they test and evaluate the productivity of the schools. What is it, what is it God is wanting to produce in us that he uses scripture for? Are, are we just supposed to get together in Bible class and know enough to be able to pass a written test somewhere? Is, is that what his goal is for? Is it, we come together and we look into the face of God as we worship. Is that just so that we, we've done our time, we've done our Sunday morning thing, and then we go on to life? Is there, is there something that's supposed to be doing? Is there something that's supposed to be producing in us? That's what Titus 2, I think, is about. This is not really, we, we kind of build the church on an education model. We want to get information in your head. Really what it's like, I saw a picture of Sutton on, on Facebook about he's got a catcher's mitt and he's got that, that black stuff under his eye and he's got a, a ball there and it's like he is going to practices. Do you think they go to practice so that when the practice is over they can pass a written test that they got the information that the coach gave them? I don't think so. I think the idea is you go to practice to develop skills that you will immediately put into practice in your actual life so that you get better with every practice to know how you're supposed to run, when you're supposed to run, how you're supposed to catch, how you're supposed to hit. This is really practice. Well, Titus chapter 2 gives us an image of what he wants all this stuff we're doing to end up. And this morning we're going to talk about it. First group. He does this by age and gender. If you're able, older men, I am not going to define older for you. I am not going to wedge, I'm not going to even try to get into that. I'm going to lose every time trying to find what old is. If you consider yourself an older man, and it's convenient for you, would you stand? Are older men, lots of liars in here, lots of people who think they, no, no. If you're an older man, I want you to stand, older men, I want you to stay standing because, listen, this Titus 2 is not a word study. When you go into Titus 2 and these words are put together, each group gets a set of words. It's really a picture. So I put all these, this is it, you've got to be kidding me. No wonder they call us a young church. I mean, look at this, right? But even if you're older, I understand maybe you can't stand, that's fine, but I'm still talking to you older men. I want to put these words together, and I'm going to paint a picture for you. We need older men in this church who will go where Scripture's trying to take you. We need it in our own assemblies so that we know what God's wanting to produce in our lives. So let me read it to you. This is what we put together here. Older men are to follow the teachings of Scripture so that others... See and respect your thoughtful, experienced way of thinking things through spiritually and making life decisions out of that thinking. God's trying to lead you to where you absorb this truth of Scripture and you actually lead your families and lead your lives out of that wisdom. That's what he's wanting. You demonstrate a healthy trust in God. That's what sound means, healthy trust. You do what's right regardless, even if it costs you something, and even if no one else does it. You demonstrate a healthy love for other people. You serve others, and you offer wise counsel. 
when at the right time. And you have this track record of continuing to do this, persevering under pressure so that others, don't, not, others not only know where you stand, but they come alongside you to get wisdom for their own lives. Older men in this church, listen, that's where God wants you to go, and that's where this church needs to see you going. This is what Scripture wants to produce in you. All right, may this worship time and may our Bible class time get you closer and closer to that image. You may be seated. Thank you. This gets worse. Older ladies, would you, if you can, please stand. Be proud of it. We had one in the early service. I just had them hold up their hands. She was in the back row. She says, that's right, that's me, right? So she was happy. Older ladies, okay. Here's what the words say in Titus chapter 2. Speak and act and hold yourselves in a way that shows you're seeking to please and imitate God above everything else. Refuse to get in discussions about people and don't fall under the influence of anything that would distract you from that pursuit of being like God. That's your ultimate goal. Anything less, no, you won't do that. You're to seek to use your experience and your wisdom to influence younger ladies. You have a posture and you accept it, a posture of a role model for the next generation. You're interested in showing them what it looks like to not be trapped by the world's way of doing things, but letting God guide you in your dress and your thinking and your talking. Your role is important. May this worship time and our Bible class time together get you closer and closer to this reality. This church needs you to be where God is leading you. You may be seated, thank you. Younger ladies, would you please stand now if it's convenient for you? Riley, this includes you, come on, come on. There's my call out. Come on, younger ladies. Oh, you've got kids, I get it, okay. Here is Here's what Paul says to Titus. This is what God is trying to produce in you. Where you are right now, you are to desire to be pleasing to God and value wisdom and example from the older ladies. This world tells you, older ladies, that's old-fashioned, just don't pay attention to them. You desire, we worship youth, but not here. Not godly people. We value the example and the model of our older ladies. We don't dismiss them like the world does. You resist that worship of youth. You value godliness more. Seek to love your husbands and children if you have them. Restrain yourself from those temptations that are so unique to you in this world to go after stuff and to be successful in that definition of the world. Seek to be pure. Keep yourself engaged in constructive things and don't get embroiled in the drama of others. Let me say that again. Don't get embroiled in the drama of others. Let me say it again. Don't get embroiled in the drama of others. The young and the restless should not be your life. It should be a show on TV. Be kind to other people. Be kind to other people. Learn to value the spiritual connection with your husband above everything else. And may our worship time and this Bible class time get you closer and closer to that reality. You may be seated. Thank you.
Younger men, please stand. Equal opportunity instructors. All that description of women, and there's one word for men. Isn't that something? He knew we're not wordy, right? Here's your word, men. Learn to control yourself. Self-control. That's God's highest call for you. You have only one charge, one. But when you look at our world, you understand, right? We are in a sexually charged world, all sorts of sights and sounds, things to feed your imagination and waste your time on things that are frivolous and fruitful, fruitless, right? Futile in your mind. We live in a sexually charged world, and God calls you to control yourself. We live in a world of toys where you can spend lots of time and money chasing toys that the world says you should have and, and, and neglecting a lot of other things. And God calls you to self-control. We live in a world where you guys have plenty ample opportunity to be angry and respond inappropriately out of that anger. And God calls you to be self-controlled in front of your family and in front of your employers. Your word is self-control. May this worship time and our Bible class time get you closer and closer to that reality. You may be seated. Two more. One is me, the preacher. I'm not exactly equivalent to Titus, but it's the best comparison I can. He says to me, in front of the whole church, that's what this letter is, I'm to be respectful and not embarrass you as a faithful person or the church. I, I am to do good works. I am to teach with integrity and, and dignity and proper words. And if I use improper words, I need to correct them. And I've done that several times in my life. It's not just what I teach, the doctrine. It's how I teach it. And whether I actually live it outside the pulpit too, boy, does that put the beat on me, right? I don't want to ever be an excuse for someone to disrespect God's word, God himself, or God's people, this church at Valley View. And, and that's a call, tall order, and may this worship on our Bible classes lead me closer and closer to that reality. One, one other group. It's not an exact equivalent or interpretation, but if you work for someone else, you are an employee somewhere, Will you please stand? You work for someone. Millennials hear this, but all of us hear this. You work for somebody. You know that your faith, what we believe, what we preach, and even what we sing on Sunday morning should morph into something that actually is relevant on Monday. You are to do what you've been hired to do. Be someone who's pleasant. You're not obstinate. You're cooperative. You're not critical. You're not argumentative. You're not back-talking. You put in the time for what you're paid for. And you don't cheat. Cheat time. You don't cheat with, with anything on the job. You don't steal for your employer. You're loyal. You're trustworthy. And when you're done with your work, you look around for something else that needs to be done, and you be salt and light on that job. Act like your boss is God because he is. May this worship time and our Bible class time lead you closer and closer to this image. You may be seated. It's not, let's just open up Nehemiah and read it and know what Nehemiah's story was. It's what bearing does this have on my life? 
And those images, those things Paul is trying to be as real as he can. Why is that called for? And we're just going to end with that. Why, why are these descriptions appropriate? I want you to look at verse 1 with me. As for you, teach what is in accord with sound doctrine. Sound doctrine means it's healthy. It is spiritually healthy. When you actually believe the teachings of Scripture, it will come out and translate into real-life behaviors. If you, are re- if you really believe this, you come every Sunday and you come to worship and you hear the truth and you come to Bible class and you read the truth and we propose to be, we, we proclaim to be people who know the truth. If it doesn't come out looking like that image we just painted, you don't really believe it. You're just kind of playing church. It's got to come out looking like he just painted this image. It's an integrity issue. I can tell you what we believe from Scripture, but if you don't behave that way, you don't really believe it. They must align. And when they align, it looks like that image you were just shown. Look at verse 5 of chapter 2. There at the end of it, he says, um, after he's talking about the younger men, or right before he talks about the younger men, the word of God may not be reviled. Don't give people a reason to not respect the word of God. Because the only word of God they're going to know is your life. And we want our life to model it. So here's what the Spirit did. And here's how God did in his brilliance. How did the words of God in Scripture come about? They were inspired by the Holy Spirit. We know they're straight from God. Those words are. But people don't read these words. And so what, what God did in the New Covenant, he also filled us with his Holy Spirit. There are two witnesses to the world. There's the words of Scripture inspired by the Holy Spirit, and there's the people of God who are embodied by the Holy Spirit. And together these two work, they work in a cooperation. And when we model and embody the Word like he describes in these images he's given us, it gives the world two things to see, and together it can impact their belief. But what happens when the Word says one thing, and the people of the word live another. There's a discrepancy, and people actually think the scripture is how we live. And you don't want to bring reproach on the word of God. Look at verse 10. Not pilfering, not showing, but showing all good faith so that in everything they adorn the doctrine of God our Savior. Your life is God's wardrobe, right? It's like what God looks like. People will judge God by God's people, fair or unfair. And the truth is, the reason why we want to live the way he describes in chapter 2 is because that's how God would look if he was in the flesh. In fact, that's what it did look like when he was in the flesh. And we are to be like the enfleshment of God. And we want, we want people to get a good idea. I don't want to be that commercial for God that is a, a distortion of who God is. I don't want to be the excuse for people not believing in God because they don't see the quality in my own life. I am a commercial. You are a commercial. And you make God attractive. Look at verse 12. 
Back up to verse 11. The grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people. That grace of God appeared in Jesus, and Jesus brought salvation, and he put that salvation in your life. But that's not the only thing that grace did. In verse 12, he says, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions, to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age. The grace God puts in you is grace that comes out of you, and it looks like this, the image we've painted today. If you've received grace, you need to live it out, too. And one last reason, the very last verse of this chapter, we didn't read it before, it's a message to the preacher, Titus himself, declare these things. I want you, when you're standing before the church, I want you to declare these things. All the things in this chapter, I want you to tell people this is what God wants. This is where he's trying to get you to, right? Declare these things. Exhort. Put it before the people and encourage them. Live this way. Rebuke. If they start going another way, when the world starts being attractive to them and they actually take the world's cue rather than Scripture's cue, I want you to exhort them, but I want you to also rebuke them. I want you to say, no, we don't live this way. This attitude that the world has is not how we do it. We are scripture-led. And he says, I want you to keep preaching it to them with all authority. Don't let anybody disregard you. Don't let anybody intimidate you. Don't let anybody change the message. Listen, even the elders can't come up to me and say, you can't preach this. They don't have that authority. It comes straight from the word. This is what we believe, and this is how we know we are to live. And there is nobody on this earth who has a right to change that message. And that's why we preach it. Last time we were in Titus chapter 3, it has a section on the gospel there at the end too, but it was about because we embody the gospel, here's how we live toward outsiders. But in chapter 2, because we embody the gospel, this is how we need to live around each other and for the world. When we get together, if you notice, all those descriptions are descriptions of elders, too. The elders are to be people like this. We get together, we teach each other and how we live. I want to be able to know when I see George in any setting. I want to be able to know when I see Blake in any setting. When I see Wilma in any setting. When I see LaVon in any setting. I want to know that they're embodying this. They're living this out. This is the kind of life that we live because, y'all, we, we not only believe it, we embody it. We believe this is how we should actually live our lives. So we don't just read Scripture. We don't just study the Bible. We don't just memorize the Bible. We don't just teach the Bible. We live the Bible, and we are the Bible to an unbelieving world. And so older men... That description for you really is how you should strive to live. Younger men, older ladies, younger ladies, those of you who are employees, you've got your marching orders. If you really believe what we've sung here today, and you really believe what was taught in our Bible classes, and you really, really strive, you really believe Jesus did what he did, then it needs to show up in your life in a very real way and not just be a game we're playing be the bible
If there's anyone who needs to respond this morning, make it known to us. We will help in any way that we can as we stand and sing the invitation song.